This is Mornings with Simi. What is supposed to be the reopening of BC, the beginning of phase two. All sorts of stuff is opening up today. You've got hair salons, dog, you know, physiotherapist offices, massage therapy. Uh, there's a long list of things that will hopefully put us on the road to getting back to some kind of normal. Uh, a lot of stores are opening. Retail stores are opening. I know that Nordstrom at Pacific Center, uh, the big department store there, that's going to open on Thursday. So another couple of days for that. Uh, so we'll see. And the thing we're going to closely watch, of course, is the number, the number of cases of COVID-19 in the weeks ahead as we ease a lot of these restrictions that we've had over the last two months. Well, you know where they've already done this? They've already done this in Denmark. Uh, They've been leading the exit out of lockdown to talk more about that now and the results of it. We're joined by Shane Woodford, freelancer in Denmark and of course, former CKNW reporter. Hi, Shane. Good morning, Cindy. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Okay, so Denmark has been doing this. They started Phase 2 last week. What does that look like? Yeah, Phase 2 is last week. Uh, it's sort of a two-week Phase 2, actually, because it was as of yesterday or May 18th that uh, we started to see some other things happening. Uh, so, for example, this week was the week that Grade 6 and up returned to schools. Um, some certain amusement parks could reopen, um, you know, various other things, libraries, churches, mosques, that kind of stuff. Uh, the big thing with, was the school, because as you and I talked about, there were some really big spacing challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a two-meter buffer around each student, and that meant that they could not physically fit all the students in the class in order to meet the social distancing requirements. So entire grades are moved into empty buildings and in big cities like Copenhagen and places like that. They used, you know, libraries and museums and any space they could find. Well, now the older kids are back as of yesterday, and that means a lot of those empty spaces, which were empty schools, have been filled by these kids who bring with them their own spacing challenges. So uh, they've had to adjust some things. There hasn't been a, a major jiggling of the rules, but they have reduced the social distancing down to one meter, and that has allowed for more kids in each class. That said, they're still struggling with spacing challenges. Uh, the other big thing is that they've left a lot of flexibility in Denmark this time up to the various municipalities. So how they're doing things and how they go about things varies greatly across the country. And one of the things that they're really leaning on now is kind of more staggering of times. Uh, this time a student goes to school and still working in some online learning so they can fit, you know, more classes in a classroom. Kids will go in the morning for four hours, they go back home and they continue for a couple hours of online learning while another class goes in the afternoon and they do their online learning in the morning and that kind of thing. Right. And so there's a lot of confusion about how all that works depending on where you are in Denmark. Okay, so but how have the numbers been? Because that's, I know, what we're going to watch carefully, right? Yeah, no, the numbers have been really, really good. Uh, They've been dropping pretty steadily. Denmark actually had a day going into the weekend where they registered zero deaths for the first time in a little while. Uh, new infection cases were steadily dropping under 100, you know, it was 80 and then 60 and then 40. Uh, that said, today they had 117 new infection cases, which is the first time since May 10th that we've seen that number pop up above 100. So whether that's a one day coming out of the weekend oddity or the start of a new trend, we'll have to give it a few days and see. That said, and not in Denmark, but in France, they have, uh, worth noting that they have had about 70 COVID cases directly related to the reopening of schools there as they do their own cautious reopening. And what happens? And is there any appetite in Denmark to slow down if that's the case? Or are people going right back into things? People are cautiously going back into things. Like, again, it's it's a really adult approach here. I mean, people 
are seemingly just fine with, okay, yeah, that makes sense. We're going to do that. So, for example, we went out and did some shopping over the weekend, and some stores limited the number of people. People were very cautiously edging around each other. There's hand sanitizer at the doors. There is signage and stickers on the floor and all sorts of stuff to make sure that you're observing social distancing. And not in any case was anybody put out by this or upset about it. People just queued up and, and did what they were asked and got in and got their stuff and got out and washed their hands going in and washed their hands going out. Um, so far, it has worked very well. That said, as you and I know, mm-hmm. uh, this corona outbreak has lots of question marks and we're just cautiously trying this and cautiously trying that and we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And how does Denmark compare with, say, other nations in Europe right now? Denmark is ahead of the curve, I think, as far as coming out. Uh, I think Norway is probably the better of the Nordic nations. They're pretty much beat the outbreak. They're routinely clocking in days with no deaths. If they do have a death, it's one or two. Their numbers are routinely down around four or five, maybe pop up to a ten or something once in a while. They pretty much stamped it out. Uh, Finland's on the right path. Um, then we have <laughs> then we have Sweden, of course. Uh, one of the interesting things from a travel and tourism perspective to me is we know the travel and tourism industry has just been absolutely devastated with all this stuff. And now we're entering, as these countries come out, we're entering a phase where we're seeing more and more countries kind of looking to their neighbors and, and judging, okay, not so good. Okay, you guys, you know, are doing good. In our case, for example, we had a situation late last week where Germany has decided they're going to reopen their borders to France and Austria. And then their minister in announcing that said, we would also like to reopen the borders to Norway and Denmark because we feel those countries are safe. They've got a handle on their outbreak. We feel there's a very small chance of reinfection. Um, they omitted Sweden, which caused a big kerfuffle, uh, and the Swedes were not very happy. And I know one of their ministers actually called the, the border closure with Denmark discrimination uh, a few days ago, uh, which is another sort of blow for their strategy, Simi, which has been to not do what their neighbors have done. And it, it's, I don't know, I've talked about this before, the steady line of retreat and their excuses. It began with, hey, listen, we're doing things our own way. Our strategy is working. And it went to, ooh, yeah, we failed seniors. Um, a lot of those people are dying, and that's unfortunate, and we definitely dropped the ball there. But, hey, our strategy is still working. And right. then it morphed into, hey, our strategy is still working, but we're going to, we're long-term. We're going to avoid that economic impact that other countries around us of a lockdown are going to suffer. Well, it turns out that uh, University of Copenhagen studied banking data and credit card usage and found consumer spending in Sweden dropped 25% with no lockdown compared to Denmark at 29%. And Sweden's own national bank is predicting a pretty sizable economic sideswipe. And now because of their particular quote-unquote strategy, they risk sort of missing out on trying to breathe new life into the travel and tourism sector as countries kind of go, not so sure about you guys. Yeah, exactly. Like the damage to the reputation, right? Could be worse in the long run. Yeah. All right, Shane, thank you so much for the update. Always a pleasure. Take care. That is Shane Woodford, freelancer in Denmark and, of course, former CKNW reporter. Denmark is entering phase two of their recovery plan. They started the process last week. And so they also, you know, Danish schools, daycares, small businesses uh, reopened over the last couple of weeks. And they haven't had, as Shane pointed out, um, that any kind of an increase in the rise or number of reported cases of COVID-19. And today is another big day for Denmark, restaurants, cafes, libraries, churches, mosques. 
mosques, synagogues, they're all going to reopen as well. And they'll be closely watching those numbers, which is what we are doing here in BC, right? We've got a bunch of stuff opening up today. Phase two gets underway, but we won't see phase three happen. And that is the reopening of things like hotels, resorts, overnight camping, all of that. That's not going to happen unless we can see within a week or two that the numbers are staying about the same, right? No kind of spike in cases or anything like that. This is Mornings with Simi. Nikki Reitmeyer is back with us after filling in for Drex for a couple of days. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Simi. I have an extra cup of coffee on the go this morning. I bet you for do. Anyone who, well, I think some people can relate to this. If you, you work at a job where sometimes you're working day shifts and then sometimes you're working the overnight shifts, it's a bit of a weird sort of experience on the body, on the sleep clock. No kidding. You're going back and forth. You're just completely changing your clock, which is really tough to do. Yeah, it's a, well, this is what the coffee's for. So we'll, <laughs> I'll let the coffee take the wheel this morning and just drive me through our conversation. All right. We haven't had a chance to talk about all the stuff that had happened over the weekend, uh, that horrible plane crash. I know you probably talked about it um, on the shift uh, there with Drex about the snowbirds crash. There's been a lot of reaction to this in the last 24 hours. Yeah, the you know, the accident happened on on Sunday morning, sort of early, early Sunday afternoon. I think it was about 1145. And uh, just terrible. You know, the amount of conversations I've had with people following who just said, I was so excited to see them come to Metro Vancouver and watch them fly overhead. And then for something this tragic to happen and the province, even yesterday, you know, still in mourning and the country still in mourning about what occurred in Captain Casey's honor in Kelowna at Fulton Field, which is close to where the aircraft came down. The Sequetmik First Nations and hundreds others gathered at the field. in her honor as hundreds others stood around, brought flowers, brought signs to show their love and support as well. And then yesterday evening, I'm not sure if you saw this in your neighborhood, but 35 planes departed from Abbotsford Airport. This is the sounds of them flying over. I was at my parents' place last night. This is the sounds of them flying overhead. the other it was really quite something yeah it was really emotional they called it operation backup inspiration because the snowbirds tour was called operation inspiration they said we're gonna pick up where the snowbirds left off and we're going to fly out of abbotsford airport and they flew into langley then they went into white rock they went up through surrey over to maple ridge through the tri-cities through burnaby over to the North Shore and kind of around Vancouver again. So that was the the route yesterday flown by the BC General Aviation As- Association who organized that event. Yeah. But it was really lovely. Did, sorry, did you see them in your neighborhood? I did see them in my neighborhood. Also, I, I had watched the video of the airplanes and I watched the video as well of the drum circle. And I have to say, I, I got goosebumps watching that yeah. because it was just so moving to see that happening and to see so many people turn out and watch that. And you thought, you know what, that's really what it's all about. Like those spontaneous moments like that, where you realize the community has come together. Yeah, that really is what it's all about. And again, playing on that theme of, you know, this was supposed to be Operation Inspiration for the Snowbirds. 
And they did ultimately in the end still succeed in inspiring a nation because we had those many different communities coming together and showing their love and support in so many different ways. Seeing those acts of love and kindness is inspiring. Yeah, it really is. Although no word right on what the future of the snowbirds looks like at this point. Yeah, you know, I, I saw some people on social media yesterday, uh, some some well-known commentators and, and some of their supporters online saying that military air acrobatic shows, you know, they're too dangerous and they have to be stopped permanently. And they were referencing how there's been uh, about eight, one was killed in a car accident, bringing the number up to nine, but uh, eight pilots who have been killed since 1972 who are with the Canadian Snowbirds. And... I understand that it is dangerous, and, and obviously with the accident that occurred on Sunday when you know the, a home was involved in, in ultimately the, the, the chaos as well, that there are going to be some people who question whether or not this is a safe thing to do, but you know those pilots, they're, they're doing something they love, and, and people love seeing them yeah. fly, and yes, there is a risk associated with that. There is an inherent risk in that, but with so many other things in life that people get fun and joy and pleasure out of, and these pilots, you know, they're beloved by Canadians. Yeah. And I don't think that we have to start suddenly saying now, because of this terrible accident, let's just shut it down. No more military air acrobatic shows. That's it. It's done. I think that's a bit of a harsh reaction to something that ultimately does bring joy to people's lives, even though there is, that is clearly true. an inherent risk. That is true. I know there'll be more to come on that, I'm sure. And I know, Nikki, you and I are also going to be talking about kind of the reopening of BC, which gets underway today. Yeah, I'm curious to know if if someone who is listening is going back to work today, their business is reopening, whether they work there, whether they own the place, whether they manage the place, what kind of measures has your workplace taken to safely reopen? Because it seems like every place is doing something a little bit different. Yeah. If it's a restaurant, we've seen a lot of plexiglass go up around tables or perhaps a certain number of tables have been removed. But not everybody's doing exactly 100% the same thing. And that's because the WorkSafeBC recommendations, particularly for restaurants, there there was a lot left open to interpretation of those rules. It wasn't, you know, you have to do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G all in black and white. There was lots of recommendations. We recommend right. you do these things. So regardless of the industry, whether it's the restaurant industry or the hair salon industry, we're going to talk to experts in both of those fields coming up. I- I'm curious to know what your business is doing to reopen today. Yeah, let us know, actually. Call our buzz line, 604-331-2899. If your business or place of work is reopening today, what kind of measures have you taken uh, to make sure that everybody's okay with that so that you can safely reopen? Uh, give us a call on our buzz line. Nikki, thank you. Thanks, Simi. This is Mornings with Simi. First and foremost, we are joining the Canadian Air Division TUCAD commander and his staff all of the 15-wing team and 431 squadron family to pass on our deepest and sincerest sympathies to Captain Jen Casey's loved ones. That was Colonel Ron Walker, commander of 15-wing and Moose Jaw, where the snowbirds, of course, are based. For the latest on the look at what happened to that snowbird crash on Sunday, we're joined now by Global National Anchor and correspondent Robin Gill, who was in Kamloops this morning. Good morning, Robin. Good morning, Simi. What is it like there now? I understand that memorial is really getting bigger. Simi, honestly, your 
throat would catch with the number of people who have come here, the looks on their faces, the fact they are so visibly upset, but they are really pulling together as a community and they have dropped so many flowers, so many lovely notes. It is a touching tribute to the snowbirds, but the thing that struck me the most is the number of Canadian flags that they have posted to the fence that is here at the airport. This is where I'm standing right now. And it is just underscoring that this is a Canadian tragedy. Yes, it happened in BC. Yes, it happened to someone who wasn't a pilot, but a very prominent member of the snowbirds team. And it's, 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 it's been so devastating for them, truly devastating. Yeah, and I understand that more and more people are talking kind of about what they saw as well that day. These are very good witnesses, let me tell you. Not only did people have video and hand it over to the investigators, and that video itself is very shocking because it was supposed to be a normal routine, two planes taking off, they were supposed to be headed to Comox, and within seconds that one plane turned around and, 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 and went to a higher altitude and then just went spiraling to the ground. It was very disturbing video. But the other witnesses that were in the neighborhood where the plane went down just a few minutes from the airport were also good witnesses. They talked about the roar of the engine. They talked about the two sounds that they heard that indicated that two seats had ejected. And then they could hear that, that something had landed on a roof. And it was a, it was a, a very loud and disturbing sound. And the plane just shattered. Pieces are in mm. different parts of the neighborhood. You could, you know that there was the explosion and that neighbors were trying to put out the fire, but they were also trying to help the two members of the team. Uh, Captain McDougall landed on the roof, as we know, and Captain Jen Casey landed on the ground. And two nurses happened to be in the area, so they came over to help. And one nurse said to me that she just knew, she just knew that Jennifer yeah. Casey was not going to make it. Oh, boy. Do we know anything at this point about Captain Richard McDougall and how he's doing? The nurse, again, she said that he was talking. He was asking about his teammate and asking about her condition. He was complaining about back pain, but he could wiggle his toes. He did want to try to walk on his own, but obviously paramedics said that was not medical protocol, that he had to get on the stretcher. He's in hospital with serious injuries, but they are not life-threatening, according to the commander of the Snowbirds. That's even amazing, thinking that he wanted to get up and walk after he that after that just happened? You know, sometimes people just are not thinking clearly when they're in that uh, uh, distressful situation. He was very concerned about his colleague, and he wanted to make sure she was okay and uh, understandably gutted at this point. Now, do we know what's next for the Snowbirds, Robin? Has there been any discussion about that? We know they're not continuing on with Operation Inspiration at this point. Yeah, this was actually supposed to be the final journey. The planes were supposed to be heading to Comox and then making their way back east, but uh, they are um, uh, paused indefinitely. I can actually tell you that I can see the planes from where I'm standing at the airport. The other planes that have been grounded, they're still on the tarmac. There is a military jet there as well. Uh, We have an investigative team from the military on the ground here. They have been perusing the neighborhood. Uh, The parts of the plane that were shattered have not been collected yet. It is very disturbing to see. It's it's quite upsetting to the neighbors, uh, I can tell you that. Um, But this is something that is going to take a a long time. As you and I both know, we have covered plane crashes over the courses of our, you know, 20-year careers. It could be a preliminary report in 30 days. It could take up to a year. Thank you so much for that, Robin. 
Thank you, Simi. Robin Gill, Global National Anchor and Correspondent in Kamloops this morning with the latest on the investigation into the crash of that snowbird plane on Sunday. We'll have more for you. This is Mornings with Simi. You know, this has been a tough time for our education system. I mean, first teachers had to very quickly and suddenly move their students and their classes all online. They had to deal with that. Well, now they're going to be dealing with some kind of hybrid system that is coming on June the 1st, where some students will be back in the classroom on certain days. Uh, we don't know yet fully what that's going to look like. So just, it has been incredibly busy out there, just to give you an idea of that. So why then, with that kind of workload right now, for teachers, would there be layoffs of teachers in some school districts? Well, that is what is happening in Coquitlam. So we wanted to find out more about this. So joining us is Ken Christensen, president of the Coquitlam Teachers Association. Ken, thanks for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. What is going on in Coquitlam? Are there layoffs going on for teachers? Oh, yes, there most definitely are. And uh, they are most definitely related to problems due to COVID-19 and projected reduced income due to international ed signups for the upcoming school year. All right, so explain to us, how many teachers are we talking about? What kind of a drop in in enrollment? Well, it's 193 teachers are affected by this, all all with three years or less seniority. So it's our our new faces and and our new folks and our enthusiastic, you know, carriers of the torch. And that is really heartbreaking to us to sort of have that happen again. And, you know, it's we haven't had it happen for three years, but... You know, COVID-19, unfortunately, came along and really just wrecked our plans. So were there that many international students in the district of Coquitlam? Oh, yes. Yeah, this, this district relies quite heavily on international ed revenues. It's there's a complex. There are many reasons for that. Uh, but there's not a lot of revenue streams out there that, uh, that districts can rely upon to sort of, you know, continue to fund a, lot, a broad variety of programs in K-12. 193 teachers, then, that's at the end of the school year? Yes. What kind of an impact do you think that'll have come September? Well, I do predict that there, again, this is a very complex, you know, game, but it is something that I do predict that that most of these workers will be back in September for the first day of school. They won't be back in the same school they came from, probably. There'll be another work, so the shuffle will happen. But, you know, it's still, teachers devote themselves to their positions, devote themselves to their students, and so to lose that and have to sort of, you know, take your boxes out of the building again and be relocated to some place that you're maybe not familiar with or in doing, doing work that you're not familiar with, it's just, it's heartbreaking to put people through that after the after we dealt with it for so many years. Well, I was just thinking, this does take me back. This is what used to happen mm-hmm. before we, you know, needed more teachers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in Coquitlam, you know, had had a lot of problems in this area when when declining enrollment and underfunding was much more present in the education system. It's, you know, it's still, we still have a system here that uh, that needs additional resourcing, needs additional funding. There's no question you can't fix everything in one day. But it is something that, you know, it's unfortunate in this case that the reliance on international ed revenues, you know, and this unfortunate global pandemic situation has led to these layoffs and these teachers being moved. Now, do you think this will happen in other districts as well? Yes, so I do think it's going to happen elsewhere. Uh, you know, not all districts have the same level of reliance on international ed revenues as Coquitlam does. Coquitlam has a very large international ed program. 
and the reliance is quite heavy, but I can see that happening in some other metro locals as well that also rely on that revenue stream. And is there a concern, too, that some of these teachers, can they get laid off here? They may just go elsewhere because there is a demand for teachers in other districts. Sure. It's, you know, that's one one thing that we've learned over the last few years uh, is that, uh, you know, yeah, this this talent is mobile. And uh, we see that in our, our continued struggle to try and attract and retain TTOCs. And so there's, you know, we're all in competition in the metro area for the same body of TTOCs. And if people are not finding their needs met in one place, well, they can take their contract somewhere else and find work there. So it is something that we certainly wouldn't want to see happen on a, on a routine basis. You know, we can point our finger at COVID-19 and say, look, there's this unique circumstances that unique circumstances leading to them this year. But we certainly don't want to see this become a trend going on year on year. That's, that's not something that we'd welcome a return to. What's it been like uh, for teachers in the last couple of months? It, just, it must be incredibly stressful with all the things they've been juggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we took a, we had about a week to kind of essentially turn a full brick and mortar education system into an online education program. Uh, the degree of success that we've had with that is due solely and completely to the to the incredible professionalism and hard work of teachers. Uh, and then, of course, we faced you know our own concerns within our own families about COVID nineteen and the impacts on our own social circle and on our our own families. And now we have, uh, you know, 193 teachers facing uncertainty and a summer of uncertainty and anxiety as they await a call from the employer on what side, on what sort of work they'll be doing in the fall. I guess I find that interesting as well because already we're talking about, you know, kids going back to school, uh, you mm-hmm. know, if they want to on June the 1st. I mean, you know, the school year may end up being extended a little bit with everything that's been going on. Uh, so that's even more uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've not I've not heard anyone commit to an extension of the school year. I've heard quite the opposite on that. Um, but it is, you know, nonetheless, the uncertainty still reigns. Like uncertainty is the is the dominant emotion here uh, for all teachers. Here, we all are doing the best we can to try and make the best of a situation that is really uncertain. This is reflective of the world in which we're living right now. Everything is uncertain. Things that we we thought we were, we knew, well, we've suddenly had to change and adapt to. Now, what have you heard from the district in terms like that's a lot of reliance, as you pointed out, for Coquitlam, mm-hmm. the school district, to have on international students. Do you think this will change yeah. things moving forward? Will there still be that reliance? Yeah, I expect there will be. I mean, Coquitlam as a like as a population, we've experienced we experienced a long drought of declining enrollment, and and enrollment is still pretty much flatlined and only slowly creeping back up again. So when that happens, there's not a lot of other revenue streams that you can rely on to to support a broad variety of programs in K to 12. So it's I see this problem continuing into the future in terms of requiring that reliance to sort of maintain the high quality of education here in Coquitlam. So that's a tough one. So just more months of uncertainty ahead, then. Yes, definitely. All right, Ken. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. That's Ken Christensen, president of the Coquitlam Teachers Association. I know it seems hard to believe. I was surprised when I heard it as well, but they have given layoff notices to 193 teachers in the Coquitlam district there. The district says they hope to rehire most of the 193, but you think, well, that's a huge number uh, with everything that's going on right now. And as you heard Ken Christensen describe it, Coquitlam has a pretty heavy reliance on international enrollment uh, to kind of boost their funding. And with, of course, nobody traveling right now, they're 
isn't any international enrollment coming up for this school year, so they are having to make some cutbacks. If you want to weigh in with your thoughts on this, Simi at cknw.com. This is Mornings with Simi. As you heard in the news there, big day for BC, right? We are calling it kind of reopening day. The first part of phase two gets underway today officially. Some dentist offices, maybe your physio, your registered massage therapist, some restaurants, and I'm saying some because not all of them will be able to kind of reopen, I think, safely under the new rules. Your hair salon, your barber, places that you know, you've know you been trying to get to over the last two months uh, should be starting to reopen as of today. We wanted to know what that looked like, though. How are some of these businesses getting their spaces ready to now have people physically inside those locations? Well, to talk more about that, we're joined by Michael Gibson, the co-owner of Brush Salon. They have two locations in Vancouver. Good morning, Michael. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. We also have Emily Hancock with us, the manager of Donlan's Irish Bar on Granville Street. Good morning, Emily. Good morning. Hi. Thanks so much for being here. Now, Michael, I'm going to start with you. So what's it been like getting these salons ready to open? Well, it's definitely been stressful, but also exciting at the same time, uh, just to make sure that we have all are taking all the proper precautions to have everything that we need to reopen. And what what kind of feedback have you gotten from customers? Um, everyone is pretty desperate, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> we are, our inbox is flooded with emails, uh, so we're trying to get through them very slowly. As you can imagine, there's so many people that want to get their hair done at the moment because right. they've been waiting for two months, some of them or more, because they've already had a pre-existing appointment uh, when all this happened in the beginning. So you're going to be your your stylists are going to be giving some major haircuts coming up in the next few days. Oh yes, one hundred percent. I can imagine. <laughs> Have you been like looking at people's hair when you've been out and about, Michael, and being like, oh yeah, that person needs a haircut. You know what? Usually I always do that, but I haven't been doing it. I feel like my mind has been thinking about all the things we need to do in our business. So I've been super just focused on getting all that together right now. So I feel like I haven't even noticed other people's hair around me. Wow. Okay. That's a change. Now, Emily, tell us about how you've been getting Donalyn's ready. Will you be able to open this week? We will. Yeah. We'll be opening today at 2 p.m. We got the guidelines from WorkSafe GC on Friday, and it's just been a whirlwind since then getting everything ready to go. So we've got all the cues demarcated on the floor, like you see in retail stores, all the tables spaced apart. Um, we'll expect customers to comply to social distancing, and you can have a maximum of six people per party. Um, and basically, we have one staff member that's just dedicated to cleaning the venue from top to bottom. They start at one end, clean till they get to the other, start all over again, and keep going for the whole day. Wow. Um, yeah. And another thing that I think is really uh, good is that we're keeping uh, contact names and numbers for each party that comes in, just in case it's needed for contact tracing, um, which is something in the provincial health order that I thought was um, a socially responsible thing to do. Yeah, it is. So have you had to take tables out to make more space? We have, yeah. A lot of rearranging is going on at the moment. But I think the way we have it set up right now, it will make people feel pretty comfortable in the way that they can move around the space without being too close to people that are not members of their party. Have you had, I know Michael was just saying that, you know, their inbox is full. What's it been like for Donlin's and are people itching to come back? Do you think? Um, I do actually. Uh, we, our customers are definitely excited. We've had a really big response on social media since we posted that we're going to be reopening today. And um, just in the whole time we've been closed, it's been people kind of ringing and going, when are you opening again? When are you opening again? So um, 
we also have such a wonderful group of regulars that I know will be in to support us. So it's, they're all pretty excited. Are you concerned at all, though, Emily, given that you obviously won't have as many tables? Uh, will it be enough to keep the business going? It's going to be hard. It definitely is. Um, but what I'm hoping is that if we can stick to these guidelines um, as strictly as possible and that everyone kind of takes them on just so that we can get out of this quicker and maybe then we can start bringing a few more people in. And that's the way I think our our business will, will survive. Yeah, Michael, how about you then? Have you had to like take chairs out to make more room in the salons? Yes, definitely. So we are, I think it's around 60% capacity of what we normally would be doing in a day, um, just from spreading out our chairs and having to remove some. Um, but we are lucky in that we just opened a second location, so we do have more space now for all of our stylists, whereas with just the one, it would have been really tricky to kind of manage um, everyone right. in that sense. Yeah. But is it still tough to figure out like which stylists are going to be working, on what days? Um, it wasn't too hard. It, did, it took some time for sure just to reschedule um, the days to kind of spread everything out so there's less people in the salon at a time. Um, and creating that space between each chair. But it wasn't too bad, to be honest. And how long, Michael, do you think it's going to take for you to catch up with all the people who want a haircut? It's going to take a while, to be honest, because we did have our all our pre-booked appointments that were existing, so we had to get through all those first. And we also have a wait list of people wanting to get in on top of that. So we are, we're kind of backlogged from months of appointments that are wanting to get in now. <laughs> so what changes then? So if somebody comes in for a haircut... How are you dealing with those customers? So it's going to look very different when people come into the salon. All of our stylists are wearing masks and face shields, gloves, um, and we also are providing masks for our clients to wear when they're coming into the space because, as you can imagine, we we are so close um, in contact with our clients. We're almost face-to-face when we're doing their hair, so there's no way we can properly have social distancing in a hair salon situation. Um, so it is going to look very different when they come in. There's a lot of rules and regulations that WorkSafeBC uh, kind of laid out for us, and that's where we create our policies and procedures that we update on our website. So we've been letting all of our clients know when they book an appointment to take a look at our policies and procedures to kind of get an idea of what it's going to be like when they come back into the salon. Right. So there's going to be quite a few changes. So will everything else be the same? Like, will there still be the shampooing and all that kind of stuff going on? Uh, yep shampooing and, and, and all that will be happening although um, we do have um, distance we won't be using all of our shampoo basins because they have, those are fixated to the ground so we can't move those right. easily like chairs um, so we do have distance between them but we are only able to use a certain amount of them right now emily for donalands then how has it been with the patio space are you able to expand that at all like i know the city of vancouver was talking about this yeah, they um, they did pass the motion for flexible and expedited patios, which is really exciting. Um, but it does seem like it'll be a few weeks until we're able to learn more detail, details about like the permitting process and the application process. So I'm hoping that the city understands that every day counts in the restaurant industry, especially right now, and gets that program going as quickly as possible. Like if they told us we could have a patio tomorrow, we would open our patio tomorrow. I'll bet. Yeah. Do you think this is going to change things for the restaurant industry long term, Emily? Um, I, I do, I think that it's really hard to say, but if we do have to adopt a change, um, in procedure, 
Um, and in an effort to physically distance ourselves long term, it may take away some of the reasons why people go to bars and restaurants in the first place, like to meet new people, to experience something communally, um, whether it's like for music or for sport or right. romance. Um, but I think that it's that those are all things that we really need. And so we have to figure out a way to make those connections and live those experiences together. And the industry will just have to pivot if it does mean a long-term change. Right. Michael, how about you? Do you think this is going to impact the salon industry long-term, some of the changes? Yes, 100%. Um, just with having to have a lot less people in the salon at a time, uh, hair salons are relatively low-margin business. So um, it's definitely going to affect the livelihood of not only the salon owner, but the stylist as well. I'll bet. Well, listen, thanks to both of you for being here, and good luck with the startup. Thank you. Thank you. This is Mornings with Simi. I'm Claire Allen. And I'm Quinn Allen. And Dad, this is your reality check on the occasion of your 75th birthday. CKNW listeners know our dad is an outspoken guy who has no problem speaking his mind. Moron. The idea was idiotic. Loser. Clowns at City Hall. Mayor Moonbeam. Mayor Moonbeam. Commander General Moonbeam. Party of like-minded bozos. Pitiful. The war on the car continues. Dumb idea. Bike lanes. Bike lanes. Bike lanes. The stupidest bike lane since Hornby Street. Are you kidding, City Hall? How stupid can you be? Name the moron. How tough is it? So we thought we'd take this time to share the softer, gentler side of Bruce Allen. Yeah, we've got nothing. Sorry, folks, but what you hear is what we get. For example, when I was six years old, doing my first piano recital, my dad, you know, being Bruce Allen and all, tried to negotiate 15% of the door. And dad taught me how to ride a bike, took the training wheels off, and pointed me down that hill from the top of Cypress Bowl. And we were both able to put ourselves through school thanks to the proceeds from the Bruce Allen swear jar. At a nickel a those funds really added up. All our lives, people have said to us, Bruce Allen is your dad? And we'd like to take this opportunity to say, Hell, Hell yeah, yeah, he is. is. Happy birthday, Dad. We love you. Viva Bruce Allen! Viva! Viva! Happy birthday, Bruce Allen, from all of us at CKNW. All right, I was having a pretty good laugh during that reality check, but of course, we have to salute our very own Bruce Allen on his birthday, as his two kids just did. So he's with us now. Happy birthday, Bruce. Thank you very much, Jimmy. It's a, needless to say, it's been a very overwhelming day. I'll bet it has. Did you know your kids were doing that? Did you know that Quinn and Claire were doing that? Not a clue, nor, nor did I have a clue when I went out to pick up the paper this morning that I'd be staring at myself. That was a bit of a shock. <laughs> yes, you are in the Vancouver Sun this morning. Uh, we were a little worried because you said you were going to call us during a reality check, and we thought, wait a minute, is he not going to hear reality check? Because that was kind of important. <laughs> I know. Well, you see, Victor, the, your, your engineer got back to me and said, you know, just phone in during the reality check. Just phone in during the reality check. So naturally, I had to wait till the reality check came on, and away I went. It's just unbelievable. You know? <laughs> okay. It's Quinn, Claire and Quinn, I thought. <laughs> okay, that's going to be something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So those stories that they were telling in there, are those yeah. true? Well, there's sort of true. <laughs> the Cypress Bowl thing, I don't remember, but I, I do, do remember possible. pushing down a hill down on the street. He'll get it, you know, <laughs> as soon as he gets some momentum. <laughs> um, you know, your kids tell great stories about you. It's part of the legend of being Bruce Allen. But what did you want, like, what kind of lessons did you want to teach your kids? 
Well, you know, I, I don't know if, if uh, you know, the kids, it's, it's, I've been so singularly focused for so long that it's, I don't know if it's the best thing to, to uh, teach anybody because I think there's more to life than just doing what you do. And I think the, the things that happened in my life that turned me into the person I am today, I, I wouldn't want them to, um, to, uh, to, to have, and, and, and they haven't. But I, I think the work ethic is what I just tried to instill. You know, I, I was watching the Michael Jordan thing last night, and oh, I know you're a so big good. basketball fan. You've been probably watching the same yeah. thing. And when he said, to, talking about being in the present, I think that's so important, and I try so hard to keep everybody around me in the in the present. Not that I know I'm in the present, but I think, like I've talked to some of the girls today who phoned me and this and that, and, and it's about that. I mean, it's about, you know, I, I don't know what I, I can't remember about it going in 1988 and 1996. I really don't care about those anymore, but I mean, it's always what's happening right now. What are we doing right now? What do we have to do? And I try to do that with the kids too. You just can't rest on your laurels right. and, uh, and, uh, and, and get ahead or get what you want to do in your life. Now, this is why I have said to you in the past, geez, Bruce, like you should write your memoirs. Like that is a book I would read, but you live, <laughs> you live so much in the present. You said that's not going to happen. No, you know, like, I mean, if, if, if people, if people, I read about things I've done and that, and I have to sit down and have to really think back about it. I, I think the only way to do a book, and um, I, if I ever had to do it, I'd have to put six or seven people in a room, and we'd have to talk, and we'd have to have some of my oldest friends that have been around, because they have much more memories of this than I do. And uh, I just, uh, I just, I, I just don't have all all the facts that, that some other people know. I mean, the people have been calling me, Simi, and writing me letters and telling me the stories. Yes, I, that story comes back to me, but it comes back to me. Could I have done it with just a, somebody put a mic in my mouth and say, what, this happened in such such a day? I, You're I like, struggle. sure. But to read some of these things, Simi, it's tremendously, it's overwhelming emotionally. And it's just uh, because you realize uh, how big a part and how... How, how small a part or whatever we were doing, how, what, 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 we've, what we've accomplished. I, I kind of never look back to what I've accomplished. You know, you try to get to the goal ahead. What's next? What's yeah. next? What's next? And it's not the healthiest way to <laughs> live your life in a lot of ways. <laughs> Listen, you've done okay, Bruce. You're 75 today. Yeah. We love you. That's why we wanted to do this. What do you, how do you want to celebrate your 75th birthday? Uh, Simi, I just... Um, I just want to sit down quietly, to be honest. I don't know if I could take much more than what has been going on. You can't take the only, attention it's when it's on you. You can't <laughs> take the attention, and, can you? And, I, and I've been overwhelmed, and I mean, I just want to be able to sit there, and I want to be able to write back to the people that wrote to me, because some of them, you know, I said to Katie Ann the other day, you know, I said, I'd like to rent a car and, and go for a drive around the United States and different places to stop in and see these people, because some I haven't seen in years. And I mean, it's uh, it's just, it's like I said, it's, it's too, it's a really... A lot to handle, believe it's, me. It's hard for you to take the attention when it's focused on you. It is. It's really hard. It's really hard. I've been in the back a long time. Oh, you have, but you clearly <laughs> have obviously impacted a lot of people, so they wanted to tell you that today. Um, yeah, special I, I dinner. Look at the talent I've had, um, Simi. I mean, you know, they, they, look at the effort they put in. They put in as much effort as I do, probably more. Okay, and uh, you know, I've been with Brian since he was a kid, you know, for, since we've been over for over 40 years. And uh, that's that's unbelievable. I got people in my office. It's the only job they've had as an adult. And they're in their sixties. It's uh, it's kind of overwhelming. 
Well, we wanted to make sure that you got recognized for this. So you're not you're not going to like go skydiving for your 75th birthday. You're not going to like nothing big and special planned like that. Just quiet no, dinner. No, not not much. I tell you, but I don't know. I don't know what's coming. It's just been oh. one barrage after another. I mean, I just you know, I, I think I think my day's well spoken for. We're going to be well spoken for, Timmy, Simmy, for oh. sure. Well, we love it. I just it. want to thank you for for uh, you know coming on and thanking all the people out there. I want to thank all the people really, you know, who listen to Reality Check. I mean, you know how well it does at the stage. And I mean, I, it's, when I when I think think back, with what Jeff Aldis and I have been doing there for the last I don't know a number of years, over a decade, you sit there and you go, "My God, I'm still on the radio, still <laughs> you know, still still doing this." You know I, I, but the uh, the audience has been fabulous. I, I mean, I I don't read emails, and that you know, know. that because That's I think I'd be terrified. Yes. But it's it's uh, I've had a lovely run there, and I, I love the station. And you guys do a great job. Well, we wanted to make sure that you got your salute groups because we love you. You're an integral part of what we do here, and we didn't want to let this day pass. Uh, and you're right. I think the secret to your success with Reality Check is that you don't read emails. People email me all the time and say, can you pass this on to Bruce? And it's pretty much, nope, because he won't read it if I pass it on to Bruce. Well, you know, and I try so hard with my guys not to read it either because it's, it can't, it's soul-sucking, as you know. And hard, uh, yeah. if you let that get to you, you, you just alter your whole personality. Well, Bruce, listen, happy birthday, and really, we mean that. We hope you have a great day, okay? Thank you, Simi. Thank Thank you. you. That is our very own Bruce Allen celebrating his 75th birthday today, the one and only. Uh, Just wants a quiet moment to himself, he said. Nothing too crazy out there. Uh, But you know what? I have a feeling there are a few surprises in store for him today. So good on him, and we do love him. And no, he does not have an email. So when you do write me and say, can you pass this on to Bruce? I don't because he's not going to read it. Anyway, that's the secret to what keeps his reality check going after all these years. Happy birthday to Bruce. A fortune one loss on a heavier deal. Oh, he needs a strong heart and a nervous seal. Viva Bruce Allen. Viva Bruce Allen. Now viva Bruce Allen with your neon flashing and your one-on bands is crashing. Our hopes down the drain. Viva Bruce Allen turning day.